1: All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Maker show. So today we're going to be having the battle of accents. You're going to hear the Spanglish coming from me. You're going to hear some British accent, you know, as well. But nonetheless, I think that we're going to be learning a lot about a new industry, a new industry that uh, obviously it has been incubating for quite a while, but now there is a lot of hype. There is a lot of uh, momentum around it. And I think that we're going to be learning from one of the top experts uh, in the in this segment. So. I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Cosmo Fielding Mellon. Welcome to the show. Great. Thank you, Alejandro. Lovely to be here. So let's talk about your upbringings. So uh let's talk about life growing up between London and Oxford. Give us a walk through memory lane.
2: Yeah, so I mean I suppose I, I grew up with, with unconventional parents who have uh probably shaped much of my career path on reflection. So so um both of my parents really have Committed their their lives to psychedelics and kind of the the potential of psychoactive substances and kind of altered states of consciousness to make the world a better place in some way or other, and and so that so they were quite kind of unusual parents, but we had a very lovely kind of fairly normal life in terms of growing up, going to school. I I, I went to Oxford University, and and no, it was a, it was a, I mean it was a lovely childhood, but my my mum. Amanda Fielding is a kind of well-known figure in, in I suppose what what we will come to talk about, which is the kind of psychedelic re- renaissance. So I, I I suppose that's been a a running theme for my whole life.
1: And obviously, I mean that influenced the, the career path that you took, but but I'm
2: wondering here as well for your mom. I mean, what 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 got her into psychedelics? So you know, f- f- for my mother, it was really a a kind of. A personal experience in, in the sixties kind of thing. She's, you know, was, uh, was alive in those days as was, as was my dad. And, um, it was, you know, the, the, the personal experience of an, a, a kind of altered states of consciousness and thinking what, uh, you know, what an amazing experience she actually, there was an experience that my, my dad had. And in fact, I think both my mother and my father did this, which is obviously anecdotal, but they both were cigarette smokers. kind of My dad smoked 60 cigarettes a day and then was given a, a, a psychedelic drug, mescaline or something, and, and didn't notice, but while he was on it, quit. He like, like, wasn't smoking kind of thing at the time and, and looked back and then the next day he kind of looked and realised that he hadn't been smoking. It was just a kind of habit. And he managed to, anyway, instantaneously kick a 60 cigarette a day habit by taking a psychedelic. So those types of experiences kind of, I think, kind of swayed their view on the potential of these substances to, to kind of have great benefit.
1: And why would you say that your mother took her upon herself to campaign and to create more consciousness around this?
2: Good question. They've really been committed to it since the 60s, but my mum and dad ran a, a business together, unrelated in, in kind of the art world. And then in the nineties, basically uh, my, so when, when my mother was a bit older, she decided that actually she'd been trying as an individual, she would left school at 16 years old and been trying as an individual to try and get the kind of powers that be to, to take this subject seriously and, and pay attention. And, but she'd struggled um, to get real traction. And, and so then she, she, re, she decided that, actually by setting up a foundation. So our, our, we grew up in a house, My, I grew up in the house where my mum grew up when she was a child and indeed her dad grew up. It's a very beautiful old house in, in the countryside in England. It's like 500 years old. And uh, it's called Beckley Park. And she named the, uh, the, the, the non-profit, so a, a kind of a charitable foundation, Beckley Foundation. And the remit of the foundation was to do two things. One, reignite scientific interest and research into psychedelic compounds and their kind of medical potential. And two was to research and campaign for evidence-based drug policy reform. So to try and kind of improve the drug policies uh, that, that, that were out there at the time. And basically, by she realized by doing that as a foundation rather than as an individual, she was, it, she was able to attract more kind of legitimate partners so she was able to get the top scientists in the uk initially and then top drug policy experts and politicians to to join the board and kind of become Im- involved in the charity so she it was a transition from being a kind of individual activist to being a kind of more institutional campaigner and that's what she's been doing ever since
1: so so in your case you know obviously you you follow the footsteps and uh... You were obviously influenced, you know, as well, and you were inspired, you know, by your parents, uh, by what they were experiencing and also campaigning about. But in what case, in what, in what day event or, or, or what would you say that triggered for you to say, I'm going to
2: dedicate my life to this? I mean, so, you know, you could argue that I've been kind of brainwashed as a child. So there was no single event because it was, so the potential, a, the kind of, the damage of draconian drug policies, as uh, one thing, but really more more importantly, the potential of psych, kind of psychoactive substances to me- have a really profound, kind okay, of positive impact on individuals and broader society was something that was just something I was brought up with from you know from as early as I can remember so it's been the main topic of conversation my whole life and and I've grown I've been lucky enough to grow up with surrounded by many of the most kind of famous and iconic kind of pioneers around this particular area of research so I suppose I just naturally absorbed it and always thought it was something that I was kind of wanted to contribute to in my own way. So I didn't know how I wanted to contribute, but I always knew I wanted to try and I felt like this was a very worthwhile mission to get involved in and try and it was a way to kind of really try and make a positive impact on the world basically. So, you know, there was no one specific point. It was really kind of process of kind of gradual, you know, osmosis, I suppose.
1: And definitely following the footsteps of your mom of uh, creating consciousness because after Oxford, what you did is you went into documentaries, into filmmaking, uh and and without a doubt that was kind of like the segue for you to get into business with your mother. I mean,
2: what a <laughs> what an interesting arrangement. So so tell us about how that happened. So I was always involved, really my whole adult life, I've been involved peripherally with the Beckley Foundation, the nonprofit work that they've been doing. I've been, you know, an advisor to them. I've even been, you know, I've even been Guinea pigs in some of the scientific research. So I was, I was one of the people that one of the things that they did was set up a, a brain imaging study with Imperial college in London, which is one of the kind of most, the top universities in the world. And they were doing brain imaging on people with Being injected with psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in in magic mushrooms, and I was actually so I was one of the kind of volunteers and participants in the study. So I was injected with with psilocybin in a in a huge uh, kind of CAT scanner, a brain imaging machine, and so anyway, so all through my life I've been involved in it. When I finished university, I wanted to contribute in in my own way, and I felt like one way to do that was to kind of try and get the message out to a wider audience. And and so I I went into filmmaking, really, but wanting to get these messages out through filmmaking. So it was the same kind of mission, but a particular route to do it. And the first company, I mean, the the first documentary I made, I was incredibly lucky. I, I ended up getting to direct a documentary about international drug policy. It was kind of, the producer was... Well, Richard Branson and his his son was actually the exec producer and Richard Branson was involved in it. And it was following several of the lead presidents and ex-presidents in the world, looking back on their time in power and also looking forward to the future and analyzing the kind of pros and cons of, of international drug policy. So we had kind of Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton. We had the ex-president of Mexico, Colombia, the, the current president of Colombia, the the president of switzerland so a lot of like you know really really it was a, so the idea was this wasn't just a kind of you know it it was a very legitimate group of people and they'd, they'd come together to form what was called the global commission on drug policy and and so it was a kind of following their journey and and map in the process mapping out the the issues that have come about in the kind of history of how drug policy has evolved over the last Several decades and and the impacts that's had and kind of unintended consequences that has had in in many countries like Mexico and Colombia as well and and so that was the first film I made which again was very much one of the themes that the Beckley Foundation is focused on then the second documentary I got to make and it, it was anyway very lucky it was you know it did well it was on Netflix it was um, I think it was number one on iTunes and things like that for a, a kind of documentary downloads and stuff. And and then off the back of that, I got to make, I was basically said, well, what, what film do you want to make next? Which was very lucky to have that choice. And the film I really wanted to make was, was, was focused on the kind of psychedelic, the potential of psychedelics, because that's really a kind of a greater passion of mine and the family's is actually the kind of potential for kind of real positive impact that you can have. And. I wanted to make a fun film that was kind of telling that story but also quite fun. So I told this story about it's called The Sunshine Makers and it's again it was on Netflix and it went to cinemas in the US and it but it was it was about these two underground chemists who basically thought they could save the world by turning the world onto LSD. And in the process they they made the most famous LSD ever made which is called Orange Sunshine. So it's 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 kind of a almost like a real life breaking bad it's like a rise and fall drug dealer film but obviously with the kind of themes underneath it is actually looking at the history of where the psychedelic revolution in the 60s the kind of psychedelic revolution what's called, called the psychedelic revolution how it emerged and and what happened and why people were so excited about it and why it also kind of faded away back then and the kind of so the history of the kind of it becoming an illegal drug and the early research so that so that was the film I made then, and finally, just to kind of get to where we got to well closer to where we got to now, at the same time, I was always kind of involved with the Beckley Foundation, and what was happening over the course of of my time making documentaries was that increasingly the there was a kind of emerging industry around cannabis and psychedelics that was suddenly we were watching and people were approaching the beckley foundation about doing stuff and and we were never quite sure about the partners and it became apparent to us that there was an opportunity for us to actually increase the impact of what we were doing by taking another step which was so actually going from continuing that the, the nonprofit foundation but also Trying to take the next step, which is being a kind of i suppose a kind of ethical beacon for the emerging industries related to psychedelics and cannabis and and so that was the aim was to kind of set up companies that could share the mission of the Beckley foundation but be and be kind of so be ethical, actually support the the nonprofit work as well and also have a, have a kind of bigger and wider reaching impact than the foundation could have because it would allow us to raise more money and do more things
1: and also in this case i mean the beckley canopy therapeutics you know which was the the company that you did with your mother i mean incredible run you guys raised about 10 million for this company uh, it had an outcome of uh, 80 80 million M&A transactions so it was acquired for 80 million so can you tell us what exactly you were doing there and how you were monetizing
2: yeah, so so that company was actually had a focus on cannabinoids, and it was the first company that we set up. And again, it was you know we've had lots you know lucky breaks here and there, and and so I was very lucky. We we were kind of looking at how we could set up these businesses and in a, in an effective way, and we were lucky enough to meet this uh, uh, incredibly nice group of people. Uh, a uh, one guy called Mark Wayne who was the at the time, the head of um, a, a company called Canopy Health and Innovations. And he's one of the pioneers of the Canadian cannabis industry. So, uh, you know, as in a, a little background, obviously, what had happened in the history of, of, of kind of drug research was that, you know, there was a lot of excitement and research in the 50s and 60s into psychedelic compounds. and And then in the 60s, the kind of Cannabis, and well, cannabis was actually made illegal earlier than psychedelics was made illegal in the 60s, LSD and psilocybin. And so then the research completely ground to a halt. Back, and then by the 90s, the Beckley Foundation and a few others were responsible for really kind of reigniting scientific interest in psychedelics and cannabis. At the same time with the cannabis industry, what happened was there was a kind of popular movement within certain states in the U.S., to, to kind of medicalize cannabis, because there was a lot of real world use showing medical potential, and then in Canada, they actually, on a kind of nationwide level uh, were, were kind of medicalizing and eventually kind of actually legalizing recreational cannabis this our my Our partner, who was called Mark Wayne, was one of the really early movers in the Canadian cannabis industry, so he had been involved in setting up one of the earliest licensed producers of cannabis that had gone public that had merged with another company and created a company called Canopy Growth which had become the biggest cannabis company in the world and we met him and he was now in the process of really wanting to launch the the kind of pharmaceutical division of that work so rather than just medical cannabis which is isn't it is slightly different because it's you get a prescription to use cannabis for your whatever it is, your medical conditions, but it's not the same. It hasn't gone through the same regulatory process as a normal pharmaceutical product. And what we wanted to do was actually prove that cannabis could be taken, cannabis products like well-produced GMP, so pharmaceutical quality and consistency cannabis products can be taken through the normal pharmaceutical drug development process and licensed as a proper pharmaceutical drug rather than sitting in this kind of its own regulatory situation, which was the kind of medical cannabis space. And so that was the aim. It was really to set up a cannabinoid based pharmaceutical company. And he had been a very successful businessman. We hit it off really well. And so he wanted to partner with us and we had previously done really interesting research in in cannabis. So we kind of had this scientific credibility. They had a huge amount of kind of experience and on the business and the, and the cannabis production side of things and together. So it was, it was a a kind of good fit and together we set up Beckley canopy therapeutics. And so that, that was the focus. I was the managing director alongside Mark Wayne. So we were co-managing directors. He was based in Canada. I was based in the UK and, and again, incredibly lucky for me because it was essentially doing an MBA. But while actually running a business and we raised some money and and then quite quickly the company was acquired because Canopy Growth, the, the larger kind of parent company, the partner company decided that it actually kind of, we were doing a lot of really interesting research and kicking off some really interesting clinical trials. And they it it made sense for us and for them to kind of join forces and be all under one umbrella rather than being separate forces. So they they approached us to acquire us. And at the same time, basically, we were happy to do that because we had already started work in the background on the company I'm working on now that I'm CEO, CEO of, which is called Beckley SciTech, which is focused on developing psychedelics into pharmaceutical medicines. And that is really the core passion that i and my family have is, is is with psychedelics we feel like that more so than cannabis that is the area where we can make a really meaningful difference and there's a huge amount of potential to turn them into really kind of very powerful pharmaceutical medicine so that's and so by selling the other company it allowed us to focus exclusively on that our investors had made a lot of money in a short space of time off the first company so we had good backing and and anyway uh, so it was a lucky break in that sense.
1: Now, for this next company, I mean, you guys have raised quite a bit of money. How much? How much capital have you guys raised for this business?
2: So we've we've raised over a hundred million dollars. We set we set the company up in 2019, and the last funding round was uh, was was last year. It was a kind of upsized and oversubscribed Series B, where we raised eighty million dollars. And what we what we've really tried to do with the company basically is combine the Deep knowledge and expertise around psychedelic science that we that my mother and I bring from the psychedelic side and the work that we've done and the network we've built up around all the world leading experts in psychedelics um, over the last kind of 20 years. And combine that with a best-in-class drug development team. Because there's there's one there's one thing doing academic research on psychedelics, which has really been, for the last couple of decades, the the main work has been research done by top universities like Imperial College and Johns Hopkins and NYU, you know, world leading scientific institutions, but they are academic studies. They The studies are not designed in a way to turn those substances into pharmaceutical medicines. They're not kind of, they're not part of the regulatory approval process to actually become a, a, an approved pharmaceutical product. So what this company is is aiming to do is really take the really the very promising early research that's been done in academic settings over the last couple of decades and 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 you know to that point there have been some incredibly exciting studies looking at psychedelics as potential treatments for treatment resistant depression for alcohol addiction for a, a smoking addiction for existential dispre- distress for people with terminal cancer Um, for post-traumatic stress disorder, a whole range of very, very profound and debilitating kind of mental health conditions. And what our aim now is to take that early stage research and translate it into large scale pharmaceutical development. And to do that, you A, need a lot of money because pharmaceutical development is very expensive. And B, you need a whole array of talent and experience from the pharmaceutical industry that... We would, never would have been able to access through the Beckley Foundation, the nonprofit. So by setting up a company, we've been able to bring in, you know, incredible, like brilliant people They're completely kind of committed to developing these medicines as you, and what's what's kind of exciting for me is going from being surrounded by the Beckley Foundation, where everyone was already obsessed with it. But it was a very niche group of people who were working on that to suddenly it being the former head. Of Global Medical Affairs from Johnson & Johnson is now working with us. The, the former head of global commercial and market access strategy of Janssen, the former CEO of Otsuka Europe. So, you know, like these are people at the very top of the pharmaceutical industry who have now joined a company that is focused on developing psychedelics into medicines because they they've seen there's now enough evidence for them to think this is exciting enough to commit my career to and and really really give it a go which is so so that's incredibly exciting for me kind of thing
1: and and obviously you know there's a lot of people probably that are listening and watching to us right now and and that they're not as familiar with psychedelics i mean there's a lot of people that you know have talked about cannabis uh you know the, the the explosion of the cannabis sector has been unbelievable how it has been now there's licenses and and, and how it's permitted, you know, in all these different states in, in the U.S. Uh, but it sounds to me as cannabis, uh, you know, also has the recreational aspect, while psychedelics, for example, you know, it's, a, it's to a certain degree, and I'm not an expert, I mean, you, you, you can tell us, uh, you know, when, when you take psychedelics, it, it can perhaps rewire certain, you know, things in the brain, you know, just like, for example, like what had happened with your father, uh, why, why would you say, you know, or or, or why would you tell the people that are listening that maybe are not as familiar with psychedelics? Why should they take this seriously, or 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 what should they know about psychedelics that is so important?
2: Yeah, so yeah, look, it's a really good question. I, I think the the parallels between cannabis and psychedelics are psilocybin, for instance, which is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, or LSD, or MDMA they are all prohibited substances. So you're not Ill- Ill- legally allowed to use them or make them unless you have a kind of official controlled drugs license. They're controlled drugs, just as cannabis is. But there has been a huge amount of real world use in the kind of informal settings. So there is a kind of interesting, and, and, and in during that period where lots of people have taken them, there's been a lot of kind of observational and anecdotal evidence that they have potential therapeutic applications. So that's where there's a parallel. And I think with with psychedelics, there, it's a much, much smaller number of people who've tried psychedelics than, than cannabis. And But why it's interesting from a kind of drug development perspective is like, that's why, in a way, it, it has a similarity, because there is this kind of strange back to front use case where it's it's That's basically been used out there before it's an approved or licensed or validated kind of medicine. It's just out there. But what we're trying to do is really take a very classic drug development and pharmaceutical approach to these compounds. And really, what's key is that over the last two and a half decades or so, there has been this body of evidence that has been building slowly, but amongst the top universities in the world that. are conducting what's called trials on a a, a treatment model that is called psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. So this is a very important thing. It is a combination of the drug and psychotherapy. And that's very important because one of the things about psychedelics is in in the recreational setting, there's no control over the setting or how it's being taken or the quality. What, What we're looking at is a very, very controlled clinical setup for the treatment. So that the, there is a standardized preparation with a therapist to prepare the patient for the experience the the patient then goes into the clinic and is administered the drug in a room that is set up for a psychedelic experience there on there's medical supervision in in the building in the room with them is the therapist who has already got to know them in the preparation therapy so they are with with a person who's there to kind of help them and guide them. And subsequently, after the experience, they over the kind of the preceding weeks, they're given what's called integration therapy, which is, again, working with their therapist to process the, the experience and, and use it for long-term behavioral change. So that's the kind of the treatment model. And it's what's interesting about it, to your point about resetting the brain, what was shown in these very interesting kind of brain imaging studies that Beckley Foundation did with Imperial College was that under the influence of uh, a psychedelic like LSD and psilocybin the brain you can see the brain the, the blood flow to the default mode network reduces so the activity in the in the default mode network reduces while other parts of the brain the connectivity to other parts of the brain increase and I, I won't go into the details about what the default mode network is but it's very very much tied into your sense of self so it's the you know it's in a sense, you can think about it as like your default mode is when you're on default mode while you're driving a car and you're away thinking there are a series of thoughts that you normally drift off to. And that's your kind of default mode. Network. But it's often kind of related to your sense of the future, your sense of the past. And in, uh, and, and what's interesting is in conditions like depression and addiction, you have the, the default mode network has been shown to be overly active, right? And so in a sense, you're being trapped. In a negative spiral of thought that you can't escape, and that's kind of from a neuroscientific perspective, translating it quite crudely to a kind of uh, psychological perspective it's, that's what it looks like in a kind of in the brain and by with with psychedelics, what happens is it reduces the kind of grip of the default mode network and allows other new connections to be made and it's and this creates what's called a window of neuroplasticity and essentially neuroplasticity means your ability to be able to change your patterns of what your your brain patterns, but your patterns of thought and behavior. So it opens up this window. It's kind of, as you said, like almost like defragging the computer and opens up this window to form new patterns of behavior. And that's why the psychotherapy is such an important piece because after the, the drug has been administered and, and you're in this new, this, there's a kind of, period, a window of neuroplasticity, the psychotherapy can then be used to bring about long-term behavioral change. And the psychotherapy can be much more effective than psychotherapy on its own. So it's the combination, there's a kind of synergistic combination of drug plus therapy in this very, very controlled clinical setting. So that, that's what we're trying to show now In, in you know, as we go in, in large-scale clinical trials.
1: That's incredible. I mean, to me, I mean, this, this segment, you know, has an incredible, you know, uh, potential, incredible growth ahead. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, just like, as you say, like when, when you like look at this more like from a pharma in a setting, you know, where people, you know, have that, uh, that, uh, that care and, and, and guidance, no, I think it's a, uh, it's, it, it could be magical. Uh, and we're definitely on the initial uh, stages of, of, of this consciousness and, and awareness around it. So so really cool stuff. Cosmo. Now imagine you know if I was to take you, you know, into a time machine back in time to perhaps say uh, when you were thinking about building your first company and you had the opportunity of giving a piece of advice before launching a business to your younger self. What would that be and why
2: given what you know now? Well, you know what? I'm actually I'm going to recycle a piece of advice that Mark Wayne, who was kind of my mentor, gave to me because, I and, and I didn't particularly take it at the time, but on reflection, I should have. Because when you're starting a company, when I was starting the company, it was like, you know, I was so concerned about making it a success and being like, oh God, I really want to get to the point where it's more established and we've got more money in the company and it's a bigger business and we're ready and it's kind of safer basically it's a kind of more secure company and he said to me hey cosmo trust me this is the funnest bit when you're starting out the company and it's all ideas and you're turning into reality and it's like all fluid and flexible like this is the funnest bit so enjoy it and i think you know i think that's really true like we're in a you know I'm enjoying immensely the new challenge of the company that we're at, but we're at a more advanced stage in this company. We've raised a hundred million dollars. We're a bigger company. And, and, you know, it's a much more secure company, but also you kind of, with that comes great responsibility as well. And so, you know, I think on reflection, you should just remember to enjoy the early days as well, because you don't know where it's going and it's a really exciting time. And, and so I think, I think that's, you know, to me, that was excellent advice. And I, I think I used it on the second company, because we, you know, I, I kind of knew how, and I kind of really appreciated how fun and exciting that those early stages are where you're really figuring things out.
1: I love it. So Cosmo, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for
2: them to reach out and say hi? We're on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn and and the uh, the company's on LinkedIn. We, we've got a uh, a newsletter on our, also we, we have a bunch of very exciting research going on at the moment. And we we have a, a newsletter that you can subscribe to on our website, beckleyscitech.com. And, and so, you know, anyway, we're delighted to hear from people. So, you know, thank you for your interest.
1: Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Cosmo, for being on the show today.
2: Brilliant. Thank you.
0: If you like the show, make sure that
1: you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review
0: as well, that would be fantastic.